You're listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Ruth. Here's Nate. Well, turning to the book of Ruth, chapter 3, we're turning to the third of four scenes throughout the book of Ruth. The first scene, of course, unfolded in the territory of Moab. Uh, The second scene unfolded, we saw, at a field in Bethlehem. The fourth scene will occur at the city gate amongst the elders, but this scene happens at a threshing floor there in Bethlehem at the time of the harvest. Uh, This scene is similar to the scene that we saw in chapter 2. There's a setting that is going to be given. There will then be a back-and-forth exchange between Ruth and Boaz, and then finally Ruth will return to Naomi, and they will have a discussion, and they will wait for the next installment of the romance to unfold. Now, so far in teaching through the book of Ruth, I've refrained, at least for the most part, from making Boaz into the Christ figure. But today, in this chapter, uh, it's hard to refrain from doing so any longer. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, when he presented himself to the two disciples who did not recognize him after his resurrection. It says that he began with Moses and all the prophets and interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then in Revelation 19 verse 10, it tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so this helps us understand that in all of the Bible, there is something that is pointing to Jesus Christ. And here in the book of Ruth, it seems fairly obvious. There is a redeemer for mankind, and that redeemer is Jesus Christ. Boaz in the book of Ruth was the one who could redeem Ruth, but Christ in our story and in the story of mankind is the one who can redeem us, take us out of our depravity, our poverty, our brokenness, and bring us into a fullness of life, which of course is far greater than any fullness of life that Boaz could purchase or acquire for Ruth. So the question perhaps in approaching this text is to ask the question that seems to be present in Ruth's life. Ruth, after being in the harvest, gleaning and partaking from Boaz's field, She wanted more than that. She wanted marriage to Boaz. And the question perhaps that we would have or that the Lord would have to us is, do you want more? Do you want more of the Lord? And if so, what we find in Ruth chapter 3 is a great set of instructions in exemplary form of what it looks like to chase after the Lord. Now, in verse 1, we have the setting. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So, right away, we're beginning to notice a real change happen in Naomi. 
she comes to this place where she goes to Ruth, refers to her, of course, as her daughter, and then basically announces, I should be looking for rest for you, that it would be well with you. You know, up until this point in the story, Naomi seems to be fairly self-focused, while Ruth is the one that is in pursuit of Naomi's better interests. But here, Naomi is now turning her attention and says to Ruth, I should seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. This helps us because there's a temptation to think that everything that Naomi is doing in trying to connect Ruth to Boaz is done for Naomi's sake and for Naomi's heritage or the heritage of her dead husband, Elimelech. But this shows us the honest truth. She actually is looking for the betterment of the life of Ruth. And what we're seeing here is a shift in Naomi's focus, a shift that is so important for any Christian to go through, a shift from self to others, from self to Ruth. And in so doing, Naomi is turning into a different person. And this, of course, is crucial to ultimate happiness, or as the Bible calls it, joy. Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, that we should do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, this is the joy-filled life, to be others-centered, to be others-focused. Now, she goes on in describing to Ruth the life of rest or a life that would be well with Ruth, she goes on to describe a plan for approaching Boaz. She says in verse 2, Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, in that time, the people in Bethlehem would have shared a threshing floor. So it appears that this is the time that the threshing floor belongs to Boaz and Boaz's fields and workers. He now has access to this threshing floor, and Naomi knows that it's his turn to use that threshing floor. And then Naomi presents to Ruth this plan, and it seems a fairly audacious plan. Ruth is going to wash herself and anoint herself and put on her cloak and go down to the threshing floor, and after Boaz is asleep, go and uncover his feet and lie down, and she says, and he will tell you what to do. Now, of course, our modern mind begins to immediately ask the question, is this a sexually charged suggestion from Naomi to Ruth? You know, the going in, the washing yourself and anointing yourself, putting on your cloak and uncovering the feet, going to where the man is sleeping in the middle of the night. Is this a, a suggestive kind of thing that Ruth is to uh, be doing? It's hard for us to imagine that that is the case because of a couple of significant things. First of all, 
with what we know of Ruth, how could this be? And she's known, as we'll see later in the chapter, as a woman of great character. And so far throughout the book, she is extolled or praised as a, as a woman who is devoted to Yahweh, a, a devoted to God. So it doesn't seem that our heroine would be held out as a sexually promiscuous woman. But then also, what we, with what we know of God's word, it's also hard for us to imagine that this could be because this type of you know, a sexually suggestive thing would never be glamorized in God's word. What appears is happening is that this is somehow a proper procedure in that day and age where in the dark of the night, Ruth could present herself to Boaz as if to say, I am available for you to marry if you will redeem me, if you will have me. But it would still give Boaz, with the secrecy of the night and all of that privacy, an opportunity to refuse if he didn't want to partake in that role. It seems to be a way for Ruth to communicate to Boaz that she is available. This is very similar, in a sense, to a time in the life of David. Because David had a moment in his life where he put on the garments of mourning, but then after he was done mourning over his son's death, he washed himself, anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and then went to the house of the Lord and worshipped, Second Samuel 12, verse 20. And what might be happening here is that Ruth is doing this very same thing. Her husband has died off in Moab. And perhaps she's been seen as a mourning widow. And now here by washing and anointing herself and putting on her cloak, perhaps she's communicating, I am no longer a woman in mourning. I am now a woman that is available to you, Boaz, for marriage. So this seems to be stuff that is not understood in our culture, but was understood, as we will see, by Boaz as permission to marry her. Ruth replied to this whole suggestion and said, all that you say, I will do. I asked the question, do you want more of the Lord? Do you want more of God? Do you want more of Christ working in your life and working in your heart? Well, the first thing we must see is that we have to offer ourselves to the Lord. Ruth came here and she washed, she anointed She changed her clothes. As believers, we have to understand that there is a preparation of life that is necessary for getting more of God and his operation within our lives. We're not to be the dirty vessels, but we're to say, look, Christ has made me righteous. He has imputed forgiveness and righteousness into my account. I am dead indeed to sin and alive to God. Therefore, I am going to, you know, prepare my life for the Lord. As it says in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James here pleaded with his readers to prepare themselves for God, to prepare themselves for worship. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Draw near uh, to him. Of course, we learn in different places throughout the New Testament 
that we are being built up to be a holy priesthood before God, a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says that we are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And if we think about that, it's helpful to us to go back to the Old Testament priesthood. We in the church are being built up for a spiritual priesthood, a spiritual house. But in the Old Testament, when things were very physical and seen, the priests would, on the day of their consecration, take blood and it would be placed on the ear, the right ear, the right hand or the right thumb, and the right foot or the great toe of the right foot on each of the priests. And what that was meant to signify was the whole being belongs to Christ. And the reality is if we want more of the Lord, we can't hold back. We've got to give him all of our lives to commit ourselves completely to him, to offer ourselves wholeheartedly to him. The things we watch and say and speak and do and go, they've got to be covered by the Lord and belong to him. Now, in verse 6, the story continues. Ruth responded to Boaz or to Naomi's counsel. It says in verse 6, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Uh, This was a time of great celebration for Boaz. And so, you know, as they would do in that culture, they would thresh. It would be the time of the harvest. They'd have a great festival feast. Boaz had eaten and he had drunk and his heart was merry, it says there in verse 7. I know that it's natural for us to read that phrase as if it means that he was drunk. But there is a way that it would have been written if the intention was to say he had entered into drunkenness. Uh, this seems to be in, in just a phrase, and it's used in this way when in other places in Scripture, when a good job offer comes or national holidays or the days of youth or wonderful meals, this same phrase is used, a merry heart. It, it sort of speaks of being at peace with the world. This is a happy time in Boaz's life. Feelings of euphoria had come upon him because of just the goodness of what was happening uh, in his life. And so with that full and merry heart, he goes and lies down and sleeps. And she comes and uncovers his feet and lay down. At midnight, verse 8, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. This must have been quite the shock for, for Boaz. He said to her, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, she is doing something beautiful here when she says this to Boaz. First of all, she tells him, I'm Ruth, your servant. Uh, She doesn't identify herself as would be customary. And as the rest of the book had done to say, I am Ruth, the Moabite or Ruth, the wife of Malon. No, she indicates, I'm Ruth, your servant. 
So she's looking for, or at least this is an indication that she's looking for, more than just the classic redemption, you know, the continuation of the male line or the fields staying in the family. But she actually wants Boaz. I I want to be married to you. Then she goes off script a little bit because Naomi had told her everything to do up to this point and, you know, basically just said, identify yourself and he'll tell you what to do. But she says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Now, this was a bold request from Ruth. In a sense, it seems that she is playing off the very words of Boaz. Because in chapter 2, when Ruth asked the question, why are you showing me so much favor? Boaz responded by saying, well, you know, you've treated Naomi in a certain way. But verse 12 of chapter 2, he said, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And it almost seems as if Ruth is saying, Remember what you told me out in the field? You told me that I came here to be under the Lord's wings for refuge. And now I'm looking to you and I want you to spread your wings over me, your servant. It's as if she's saying, yes, I have come to dwell under the wings of the Lord and you are going to be used to that end. This is beautiful because Uh, It was a bold request from Ruth. And if you want more of the Lord, you must boldly approach the Lord. You must boldly request of the Lord. Now, this bold request that she made was based on the word that Boaz had spoken. And I find that as I dig into scripture, as I'm into and interested in the word of God, uh, I'm filled with more and more things to boldly request of the Lord. But how powerful for Boaz to consider as he looked at Ruth and to say, you know, I'm going to be the fulfillment of the very thing that God wants to do for Ruth, that protection, that covering. I'll be an instrument, a vessel for God to uh, work that out in Ruth's life. Now he responded in verse 10 and said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, Boaz here did not look down upon Ruth at all. No, in fact, he's blown away by what she has just done. He tells her, you know, may you be blessed by the Lord. And he calls this act that she has done a kindness greater than the first. That means This is more kind than what you did for Naomi. And he celebrates the fact that she did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. This is part of the reason, uh, and there's another part of the reason, but this is part of the reason that Boaz did not pursue Ruth himself. He had this sense that she would not want to marry him. And assumed that she would pursue the men that were maybe closer to her in age, the younger men. And so he rejoices at her selection and is just so glad that he has chosen her. (laughs) This is beautiful because this reminds me 
of the joy of Christ. You know, in this story, we're meant to see Ruth as, as this incredible woman, but we're to see Boaz as this incredible man. And here we are looking at Boaz, and especially in that culture, you would imagine, you know, Boaz, the, the landowner, the wealthy man, the man of the Lord. He was the man with the incredible position. And Ruth was the woman who, although she's a hero to us, the original readers would see a Moabite, would see a woman in poverty. Some of them might have even thought that God had judged her with the death of her husband, even though that was not the case. And so for them to see and to read that Boaz is blown away at the selection of Ruth would have been a shocker, just as we are shocked when we see the joy of Jesus in going after us as his people. It says in Ephesians 5 that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He rejoices over our love. He rejoices that we would ever choose him. And we must, if we really want more of the Lord, we must rejoice over the joy of Christ. We must celebrate that he is blown away that we would select and choose and go after him. It says in 1 John 2 verse 16 that all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. But the thing about the lust of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life is that they're all very visible. And have you stopped to consider that when you refuse to go after the more visibly attractive elements of the world, have you stopped to consider that this is well-pleasing to God, that he would rejoice over that reality? You must know your value to Christ, that you are not purchased with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. To him, he is blown away and wants that relationship with you so badly, even though it's hard for us to imagine that because of his greatness in comparison with our depravity. But this is the reality. God is incredibly, madly, deeply in love with his people and loves to have that communion and fellowship and relationship with us. Now, Boaz goes on in verse 11 and says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now, Boaz is announcing, look, I know that I'm not supposed to take this in the wrong way. Remember what I mentioned, you know, we asked the question, is this a sexually charged or suggestive kind of thing that Ruth is doing and presenting herself to Boaz? And Boaz is really kind of announcing here, look, I, I know what you're not saying right now, and I will do what you are asking for because you are a worthy woman. This, of course, has always stood out to us because this is Boaz mentioning the character of Ruth and celebrating the character of Ruth when he talks about her being a worthy woman. Other translations say you have noble character or you're a woman of excellence or you are a virtuous woman. As it says in Proverbs 31:30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So Ruth 
although probably very visibly and outwardly beautiful, had a beauty that was more powerful and stronger and and better than an external beauty in that she had a character within, a fear of the Lord within. And this is important. If we want more of the Lord, we have to recognize what is important to Christ. We're so often pursuing the external things, the things that man praises, but there is an inward character that garners the praise of Christ. Now, Boaz goes on in verse 12 and says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. This seems to tell us that Boaz had already been doing his homework. He had already been thinking about this whole thing. And so he said, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Here we learn the other reason that Boaz had not pursued Ruth. He did not pursue her because, well, he was not the nearest redeemer. He'd learned that there was someone else, a relative, who was a little closer in the family line to being qualified to bring redemption into their lives, uh, to purchase the field and to acquire Ruth as wife. So he tells her to wait. And it says in verse 14 that she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Now, he speaks to her, and, you know, he just says all these incredible things uh, to her. And I wanted to be sure to mention, you know, because here early in the morning, he says, look, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want there to be any gossip or slander about something that happened here that didn't happen here. And so I want to send you away, you know, early in the morning. And in the whole thing, you know, he calls her a worthy woman. He he says, yes, you know, I'll redeem you. I'm going to follow the rules. You know, I'm not going to take matters into my own ha- hands. I mean, here you are on this threshing floor right before me, but I'm going to wait for the proper time. You know, there's someone more qualified than me, and if they won't do it, I'll do it, but they're more qualified. And and what you're seeing here is, is just a, a very upright man. Maybe what's happening here with the question that we would ask about the nature of this whole thing. Is there something suggestive in this passage? Is there something sexually charged in this passage? And perhaps what is meant to happen, and perhaps what the narrator or the author intends for us to feel is an amazement that in all of this, there was nothing untoward. There was, there was nothing ungodly. There was nothing unhealthy. There was, there was no line or boundary that was crossed. And that these two people were so devoted to God, so devoted to the Lord, that uh, they would behave very appropriately towards each other. There was a proper boundary that existed. Boaz had been called in chapter 2, verse 1, a worthy man. And now Ruth in verse 11 by Boaz has been called a worthy woman. And so what you're seeing is this godly couple that belongs together. You know, Boaz would not touch her sexually. Boaz would work 
hard for her. Boaz was grateful for her. And in a sense, Boaz became serious because of a serious woman. And in all of that, what you're seeing is just a good and godly man. I think we must happily celebrate men of Christ uh, who are godly and upright and behave nobly. And so Boaz, you know, here, he just stands out as an amazing man to me. He takes six measures of barley, 60 pounds or so, and puts it onto Ruth. She, she was a strong young woman. And when she came to her mother-in-law, verse 16, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And this, of course, is the hardest part of all, the waiting. The waiting for the Lord to move. The waiting for the waters to stir. But it's in the waiting that the Lord does some of his most powerful work. And, of course, Boaz is going to settle the matter. And we'll see it in chapter 4. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.